you know what you're amazing the way you speak and no wonder because you're in marketing so <laughs> just to totally like shift the tone of the conversation <laughs> I want to ask you if you're in charge of marketing stoicism <laughs> give it wow to you. if if I'm in if I'm in charge of marketing so marketing oh branding rebranding what's your yeah. I don't know what you yeah. call it what do marketers do your pitch what's your thing you know, so Tim, I, I keep bringing up Tim Ferriss, but it's going to be, super, it's going to continue to be relevant. He has this great question. He asks people, uh, it's similar to your question. His question is, if you could put anything on a billboard, what would you put on a billboard? And I would put, am I to enjoy or endure? Am I to enjoy or endure? Question mark. Welcome everyone to the Stoic Salon podcast where we talk about life, love, work, play, the universe and stoicism and today I'm really excited because I get to talk to Elizabeth Azide and it's the first time we've met and I'm really, really excited. How are you doing? Same. Hey Catherine, I'm great. <laughs> How about you? I'm pretty good, thanks. Pretty good in uh, oddly sunny Scotland. It's, um, yeah, I've got some sun out there. It's a rare phenomenon. We've swapped places a little bit uh, climate-wise. I'm here in Texas, and we are getting full-on UK rainy, cloudy, dreariness for the last week. But it's making me a little bit nostalgic. Uh, you know, I was telling you earlier, I lived in London for a, for a brief period of time last year and just got really, you know, acclimated to the environment <laughs> there. So I take these rainy days as just kind of like opportunities to remember my, my fond times in London. So... I love that. I love a bit of yeah. nostalgia. I've got a great background. So, um, I'm, you know, nostalgia is like top on my list of things to do. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. Um, I, I seem to be asking all my guests who are, of course, um, in this first series speakers at the uh, women's conference that you will also be um, speaking at. And I'll talk to you about that a bit later. But the first thing that I seem to be really interested in is, I don't know, life before and after stoicism, if that even works in your yeah. timeline. Um, I'm curious about, yeah, who were you before? You know, what did you get up yeah. to? What were you interested mm -hmm. in? Was there a key point of meeting with stoicism? I mean, did someone put Marcus Aurelius in your hand and say, here you go? <laughs> um, and then what was that meeting like? Was it a Zeno shipwreck moment where you're like, all is lost, give me stoicism? Mm -hmm. What was it like? Um, some of my guests talk about how they were quite um, a stoic, even from a very younger age. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious about these stories. This, the path to stoicism, let's say, and then life after. Tell me a bit about yourself as, um, yeah, the story yeah. today. <laughs> I love it. I, yeah, that's that's a great question, and I, I think it's a great kind of starting point too. Um, I'll start by saying I would have loved if someone handed me Marcus Aurelius' meditations. That kind of happened in a, in a non-direct way, which I'll get into. Um, I, I know that I, yeah, ever kind of starting at the end a little bit, in the after period, I am definitely that person for other people as far as literally sending them Marcus Aurelius's meditations. Very, very, that, that I, I gift that book very, very often. Um, but taking it back a little bit. So 
I mean, growing up, uh, I guess I'll start with saying that I, just in transparency, I mean, I grew up in a very uh, Christian kind of upbringing. So as far as my, um, you know, core kind of center of belief and where that stemmed from, it really came from evangelical Christianity. That's kind of how I saw the world and how I saw everything through that lens, right? Um, and then, you know, fast forwarding, um, you know, that was my foundation, but I got to a point in my young adulthood where I would start to kind of really kind of question why I felt like I was always fighting against certain things that were happening in my life. I was never quite, um, I had a lot of kind of resistance in terms of, I would feel like things should go a certain way because I am doing certain things, but they're not going that way. So, and why is that? You know, why are things not easier or, or, you know, going in my direction positively when I'm putting out all of these good, you know, things that I should be doing. And yet I feel as if I'm not getting, you know, what I, what, I, you know, maybe I feel it's, I, I am entitled to a certain type of pathway or a certain type of response from life based on what I'm giving back to it. But I hit this juncture in my early twenties where I was just like, really exhausted by feeling frustrated, I guess, mm -hmm. frustrated at not getting what I thought I should get back from life is kind of a, mm -hmm. the, the best way to summarize that state that I was in. Mm -hmm. And at that point I was like, well, what am I actually entitled to in life? Like maybe my problem is that I feel as if I am supposed to be getting certain responses and that things are supposed to be made easier. You know, a little bit of other context I had, I grew up with um, really debilitating eczema um, all over my body, really, really terrible in terms of most dermatologists would say something along the lines of you're one of the worst cases we've seen sort of situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that definitely marked a lot of my upbringing and my experience. And that was a lot of my, uh, kind of, it, it comprised a lot of my battle in life mm -hmm. was dealing with my skin and my eczema and that never really going away. And, um, and a number of other things, family challenges, there, there were a series of things and we all have our own kind of mm -hmm. flavor of challenge and struggle in life, mm -hmm. you know, um, throughout it all, my mission was to, um, you know, somehow rise above it and still live a productive, meaningful life. Like I, that was kind of, always a theme throughout my life. Even when I was young, I was just like, whatever comes, all I want to do is just live a really great life and live a life mm -hmm. of impact and power through. And I had this almost naive optimism that I actually am thankful for in retrospect in terms mm -hmm. of just mm -hmm. this undying belief and certainty that things were going to be okay mm -hmm. um, at some point, right? So Again, back to my, my, my early 20s, I'm actually questioning for the first time, am I actually entitled to a certain response from life because I am bringing a certain energy or doing the right things, whatever it might be? Maybe I'm not entitled to it. Maybe it's on me to just kind of own you know, whatever my reality is, you know, maybe, maybe my frustration is precisely because I'm expecting things, mm -hmm. you know? And that is where stoicism and kind of my progression and my thought kind of intersected. Mm -hmm. So I'm really into podcasts, really into self-development, really into learning. And I actually, I heard someone say, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I heard someone say, um, I was 24 when I heard this, but someone said, when you turn 25, I don't know if this is true or not, by the way, I'm not a scientist or a neurologist or anything, you know, who knows how much uh, factual science is actually in this statement. But somebody said, 
when you turn 25, your brain stops growing or you, uh, you, you, you stop, or rather you stop being able to, <laughs> yes, you stop being, it sounds ridiculous, but it was like at 25, your brain is fully formed and the ideas and beliefs and, and thoughts that you hold are pretty much going to be cemented at 25. I heard someone say that. And that, I, yeah, I know. And that struck me. It struck me. Because as someone who was just always wanting to get better and grow and all those things, I was like, have I learned everything I want to learn? Like, have I, have I reached my mental and, you know, psychological baseline that I forever want to fall back on? Because I only have a year <laughs> until oh my, God. my stop being able to grow is basically how I took wow. that, which is absolutely ridiculous wow. and insane, but I'm glad that it hit it, me so hard in the moment. Yeah. Because it put me on this journey of just wanting to learn more and wanting to read. And it, it made me realize like there are so many, there's so many people that have preceded us who have had experiences that we either have experienced or were likely experienced. And they've probably written about them or like put out some form of insight around that idea or challenge or whatever it is you're dealing with. I should learn from that. So I started voraciously reading and again, listening to podcasts. And I, I, I come across uh, my favorite podcaster, Tim Ferriss. He's very well known. And uh, I'm in my car. I'm listening to, to an episode of his, his show uh, on my way to work, like, you know, a typical day. And on that episode, it's one of the first episodes I think I ever heard of Tim Ferriss's. If not the first, it was one of the early ones. And he was interviewing Ryan Holiday this young, yeah. um, you know, modern stoic author. And it was just before his book, The Obstacles the Way had come out. And he was on the, on the episode, on the show, kind of talking about stoicism and the book and all these things. And it was the first time that I'd really kind of formally heard stoicism really described in a comprehensive, complete way. And I remember I'm driving, I'm kind of wanting my commute not to end because I'm so just captivated by this idea of a set of, you know, ideological tools that enables you to assume responsibility and control for your emotional responses and, and perceptions um, and the empowerment that can come from that and the freedom that comes from having ownership over your perceptions and how you're seeing things and how you respond to things. And that the, you know, what, that whatever we're seeing that it really is us that's that's coloring that's coloring you know what what the ultimate reality we're deciding to interpret is like we have so much control of what we what we interpret right and so I'm hearing them kind of describe stoicism and describing this power of you know um, of ownership and control and um, and acknowledging how much responsibility we actually do have in how we decide to see the things that happen to us and that was critical for me to have heard that expressed from someone else, not only from someone else through these two, you know, gentlemen who I really respected just from what I've heard and seen them accomplish and all that, but also that it's rooted in this ancient, you know, philosophy. And it's so relevant still today and forever, right? It's these fundamental ideas that allowed me to kind of finally formalize, um, things I'd begun to feel. I, I was feeling like maybe my problem is that I'm feeling entitled to a certain response from life. You know, I didn't know what that was or how to really communicate that in a clear, you know, um, grounded, structured kind of way. 
And here I am hearing about that exact structured mechanism of that idea, right? Which is stoicism. The idea that like, yes, we are not entitled to anything. We are the owners of our own perceptions and thoughts. Um, and that that's all we own, our, our will, our efforts, our actions, all of that, all that, right? So on the podcast, they're talking about Marcus Aurelius, meditations, and I went to Half Price Books like that afternoon, literally, and was like, do you have meditations by Marcus Aurelius? <laughs> you know, and the guy's like, oh, let's go to the philosophy, philosophy section, maybe. And <laughs> we go. And I, I wanted to have it near me for this. This is the, the copy, still the copy. Oh. Um, yeah, that I bought that would have been, I, you know, six or so, at least six years ago, six or seven years ago at Half Price Books in Dallas, Texas at the time. And I, I remember like, I couldn't even, I didn't even want to go all the way home after I bought it. I literally, I bought it. And then I sat at the tables outside of Half Price Books and started reading it immediately oh. and was just blown away at the relevance, at the directness at the honesty, at everything. And at how it was just this, um, you know, this extremely just direct presentation of things that we're often uncomfortable, you know, acknowledging, right? Like we don't really deserve or or are entitled to anything. Like we own, what we bring to things completely. And the rest of it is just what happens. And, and, and in that time, what I really needed to hear was that my value and my like worth and all of the things that I am as an individual, that that is not attached to external things that I might've experienced. You know, I am not my eczema, you know, I'm not different family challenges. Like I really needed to see that clear separation of, you know, externals mm. and, and not being attached to that and the power that can come from not being attached to externals. Like mm. I, I needed that, that particular critical message at that time. And then from there, it just, you know, it was just kind of built, built up more and more from there, got deeper into reading, you know, picked up Epictetus's discourses and selected writings and, you know, um, read through that voraciously. Same for Seneca, you know, I went all the way in and it's been kind of, yeah, this runaway um, stoic philosophical train ever since. So that is a long answer to your question. <laughs> that is amazing. I'm like, oh my, and so well articulated. And oh, thank you. Wow, you've totally blown yeah. that way. Wow. Yeah. I'm that really was... thankful to have come across it. I really am. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other half of your question yeah. as far as at, life after stoicism, yeah. you know, that was the lead up life after, uh, I mean, sev several things. It completely upended the way I see things. It completely upended the way I process things in terms of kind of adding a step that sometimes we, it's easy to, to miss that, that step being actually scrutinizing how you feel about things mm -hmm. and why you feel that way, mm -hmm. right? It, as far as the most like tactical, practical um, aspect of stoicism that has kind of marked my life or that I at least try to have marked my life, you know, we're, 
well, the goal is to be a sage, but we're far from it. You know, the goal is to be striving toward that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in my striving over the last seven, you know, over the years, it's been me striving to take the time to really critically assess and scrutinize what I'm feeling and choosing to not equate my emotional response with that being the truth. You know, something happens, someone says something that you maybe take as a slight or you feel betrayed or you feel overlooked or mm -hmm. whether it's in work or whatever context, you know, mm -hmm. you have that immediate feeling. And, and the Stoics also say, you know, it's not that being Stoic or philosophical means that you're not going to feel things. It means that you're going to be able to take the time to evaluate what it is you're feeling mm -hmm. and recognize mm -hmm. that it's you, you know, coloring that judgment mm -hmm. and that the power of judgment is totally within you and you can alter it and affect it how, how, how you want to and how you can, you know, we're still going to have natural visceral responses to things. We're still mm -hmm. going to be sad and be upset or frustrated. And that's fine. That's totally human. Mm -hmm. It's that next level though of really assessing and scrutinizing and evaluating and really checking our feelings, mm -hmm. you know, and saying, I feel this way. I feel like that person, you know, has ulterior motives, or I feel like, you know, this was wrong. Um, but does the fact that I feel that way make it the truth? Mm -hmm. And it's leaving room for it to not be the truth, right? It's leaving room for that thing to just be that thing. Mm -hmm. And you choosing to see, you can see something as empowering as you want or as not empowering as you want. And we live in a world and we are kind of, you know, people who tend to, again, like, you know, the default operating mechanism tends to be equating your immediate feeling with what has to be true versus actually challenging that and challenging yourself too. And thinking like, you know what, maybe I have some room to grow here. Why do I see it that way? Why do I feel offended? You know, what is this triggering inside of me that makes me feel as if someone is against me or whatever it might be. Right. And that is, that is, I think the number one aspect of stoicism that really, really compelled me toward it and keeps me compelled toward it, which is that it blatantly challenges your default operating mechanism, <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, yes. So that, that's what post, you know, stoicism discovery has kind of looked like for me to varying degrees. And in, in many ways, it comes through in so many ways, as far as just, you know, just speaking really, really practically, you know, we're talking about practical paths to flourishing, mm. right? It's literally in, at, you know, at work, um, in our dealings with people, recognizing that you have the opportunity to take a step back and you are not beholden to giving in to your immediate frustrations or immediate feelings. Mm -hmm. You know, someone at work, you know, does something or says something that you feel was inappropriate or you feel was, you know, not how maybe you would do it or whatever it might be. It's taking that time to think about the fact that, okay, they are an individual free person. I'm an individual free person. I also have complete control over how I decide to interpret whatever was or was not done. Mm -hmm. Does it serve me to sit and fester and, you know, think on all of these possibilities that are actually maybe not founded in truth? You know, it's just, it's about taking that time for yourself to really, again, critically assess and evaluate mm -hmm. how you're feeling, how, how you're feeling about something. And again, and then leaving room for that feeling to not be true, you know, mm -hmm. uh, accepting that mm -hmm. there's other factors going on 
And mm-hmm. all you can control is how you choose to interpret it. And a step further, you know, Catherine, again, on the practical flourishing piece of it, a lot of it is deciding to see things in a way that actually help you and serve you. It's mm-hmm. not helpful or productive to, you know, take the negative and to take the unproductive and to take kind of that easy default frustrated side of things. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's important to have that mindset of like, you know, is this serving me? Mm-hmm. Is this, is this serving me or is it, you know, subverting me? Is it actually making me less a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think choosing to see things that way, as far as, you know, is it serving me? And then going from there, I, I found that personally to be extremely mm-hmm. helpful and has, significantly limited the excess time that I spend on things that don't really matter. I was totally going to ask you about time, like, Mm. because you can spend a lot of time ruminating, like, you know, (laughs) pages and pages of journaling. What happened? What did I say? What did I do wrong? Did he, did he said, she said, they said, I don't know what. And you could really sort of just deep dive into it and Mm -hmm. analyze it, you know, Marcus or Aurelius kind of says, you know, don't go there. There's like, just don't go there. Um, And I love that you're, you're just saying what serves you, what is helpful. And that's a really Mm -hmm. quick judgment to make, isn't it? So it it just, you can quickly get there. I mean, sure, probably there'll be pain, anger, hurt, tears, whatever for a bit. Yeah. And then quickly, okay, make that call. Is this helpful? No, let's move on. Um, Because the physics um, suggests that, yeah, as you say, you can't control what this person is going to think or say next, etc. So just the physical limitations of being a human being means that, yeah, the only thing you can do is just, mm-hmm. yeah, what's going on. Yeah. And I love that so much. Yeah. I love the idea of what's helpful. Um, I think previously, you know, in my previous life, I was always like, no, I need to know what happened. I need to know, <laughs> you know. Yep. And yep. Um, because for me, I was, I felt that there was a truth that I needed to get to. Definitely. To understand relationships or to understand career moves or to understand anything. But as you say, it's not about the truth. It's about, yeah. yeah. And I think what you've just said so like epically (laughs) in capital letters with exclamation points, like, oh, my God, viral material here. I hope Um, it made sense. Sometimes I get going and I'm like. No, seriously, you need to write the book. You need to write. (laughs) You need to write. Could you just write all that for us? Because. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned how, and I know Tim Ferriss is absolutely articulate. Ryan Holiday is really clear. I'm actually reading with my my Stokes Salon group online, the lives of the um, Stoics at the moment. Really good, clear writing. Yeah, Um, I read that recently as well. But yeah. Yeah, so good. So good. And you're very articulate and I'm sure you've got a book planned soon. But what I wanted to ask you was that happened, your your meeting with Tim Ferriss, Ryan Holiday and the Stoics happened at such at that point where you, and I think it's transformed and supercharged your life, probably in your career and personal, et cetera. I don't want to get too personal, but, you know. Definitely. Um, oh, yeah. So tell me, um, did it supercharge your life, your career? Did you just go, like, <laughs> forward? What happened? 
you know, I just feel what would have happened if Tim, if you didn't hear Tim Ferriss that day? I know. Yeah, honestly, I think so. If I, if I did not stumble up upon that podcast episode, had I not come into stoicism, you know, officially, I think I would have, I would have struggled more along my journey. I, I think mm. it would have been, I think it would have been a more painful process mm. as far as progressing through things and accomplishing things. Mm. You know, I am someone who's always been very compelled toward achieving things and hitting milestones and progressing forward in life and all these things, mm. you know, and I, I try to really keep that balanced in terms of, you know, you can get so hung up on achievement that you lose sight of everything else and it becomes mm. kind of unhealthy and it becomes mm. kind of this need to achieve. And then if you don't achieve something, you feel insignificant. Yeah. And I think Stoicism has also helped me in that mm. temperance area, mm. you know, as far as making sure that I don't have an unhealthy attachment to certain mm. external achievements. That was something that, you know, as far as traps, we are, we're, we're prone to fall in like that for sure is my trap mm. as far as needing to just maintain a conscious awareness of that, that balance that is giving your best and, and striving toward things in a healthy way in terms of making the most of the gifts you've been given, but not feeling as if you are less or little or diminished if you don't get a certain thing. Yeah. And that's really a key, you know, anchor point of stoicism, right? Is that detachment from externals and that detachment from um, feeling as if you need certain desires to be fulfilled to be a full, capable, mm. content person. Mm. Your contentment is within, was within yourself. Everything else is additive. And that's, that's really the goal, right? To get to a point where your baseline is contentment mm. and everything else is, is really bonus and additive mm. and enables you to be more enriched and to be able to more so enrich others. Like that's how I, I, I really strive to see things. It's an ongoing journey and um something I, I try to regularly remind myself of when I do get close to the, the traps of um associating my identity too much with achievement. Um you know so as far as yes like did that supercharge me I think it really really did as far as um the, the main way it supercharged me. If yeah, I love that word supercharged <laughs> what the energy of that I'm getting it from you like I just feel it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, in terms of it really freed me from so many burdens that I feel like I was carrying. And because I had those burdens, um, those burdens being largely shame, shame mm. of my eczema, shame of some family challenges. Mm. And that really is totally and completely interconnected with my drive toward achievement. A lot of my drive toward achievement growing up was if I'm being completely honest, was partially me wanting to run far from all of the things that I felt could hold me back and were bad and like dark and hindrances, you know, in my mind, it was, if I can get here and here and here and achieve X, Y, and Z and go, 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 I can run so far beyond all of these challenges and heartaches and pains I'm just going to be so good and life will be perfect because I'll have achieved so much and it's going to blot all the bad stuff out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of it for me was just feeling, you know, that it, it was feeling as if I had to achieve in order to almost validate or justify 
the quality of my existence. Like my achievements were what, what were going to make me good and great because things that I had experienced were the opposite of that. Made me feel shameful and and heavy and I was in pain a lot and all of those things. So coming into stoicism, coming into this structured system of seeing things in a way that externals do not define you. Externals are not you. You are you and you own how you decide to see things. I really needed that in terms of no longer feeling like I had to run from my past and my experiences and justify me being a, a great capable person by achieving, if that makes sense. So that's, yeah. that's what I mean by, you know, it, it made, it made it a less painful, mm. you know, uh, struggle in my journey, you know, in terms of, I no longer felt like my achievements needed to be justification for, mm. you know, blotting out the dark, the darkness in my life. Mm. Yeah. That, that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a supercharge, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a supercharge in terms of just not kind of putting me on a path where I was no longer so weighted down by all of it. You know, it really made me realize, yes, certain things happen um, in life, certain things that I would have, that would have been, you know, perhaps optimal if certain things didn't happen that that happens for plenty of people right and there's plenty of experiences and challenges we all go through that we don't want others to have we wouldn't wish that on uh, other people right that being said the, the critical another critical turning point for me amidst the stoicism path was realizing that I really that I am not less because I had those experiences mm. you know that was the heart of it it was me it was it was it was me being able to see in truth that life is pretty random, right? Like we are all born to who we're born to, where we're born to really by chance. Yeah. Because of that, nothing is inherently better or worse or like no one is better or worse or whatever it is. You know, I had eczema, anyone else could have as well. I had family challenges. Anyone else could have as well. And plenty of people do, mm. you know? Yeah. So that in and of itself can't be the dictator of whether someone's going to be successful in life or not, mm. right? It truly is how you choose to see the experiences that you happened to have been dealt mm. in life. Mm. And it was really essential for me to start to see things that way, to not feel like at a deficit, mm. you know? And that's one of the most detrimental things that we can allow ourselves to feel as far as the feeling of your default positioning being a deficit. And I think stoicism enables you to break free of that idea when you realize that one, life is totally random. We've been scattered about, you know, wherever we are and we are where we are. And so how do we make the best and the most of that? How do we make our lives, you know, the, the best possible you know, version within the context we've been placed in, you know, and how do we give the best of ourselves? How do we, you know, make sure that quality is what the outcome is, you know, regardless of what the circumstances might be like, that's our responsibility. You know, it's not, it's not on us, nor should it be an area we give excess energy to, uh, in terms of lamenting, 
things that are just the reality mm. because reality is so relatively random. Mm. My reality and your reality, anyone's reality could be anything it is. So all we really can do is make sense of it as best we can, make the best of it and, you know, like move, move forward and, and, yeah. and give the best of ourselves within wherever we've been placed. Mm. Um, and I think when you realize how much power is in just how you decide to see things, that itself is so freeing because people are going to tell you and lead you to believe that you should feel certain ways and you should be mad about certain things. And like, that's terrible. And like, you yeah. should put energy there, mm. you know, but it's on us to decide, yeah, what is the most helpful, productive expenditure of my energy again back to the whole does this serve me or not it doesn't serve me to just be frustrated that I had eczema or that I had that experience or whatever it is you know it's like that is the reality now how do I effectively exist within that Mm. how do I still live an empowered capable life within that Mm. that's what we have control and influence over You know, I think stoicism really helped again to kind of structure the presentation of that idea of like Mm -hmm. your locus of control and what's outside of that Mm -hmm. and how it is illogical to attempt to apply energy to the things outside of your control when that is just simply your reality. Love it. Oh my God, I love what you just said that it's illogical to apply energy to Mm -hmm. anything that's outside of. And the thing is, I think, aren't we brought up or... um, to think that we have power, like a lot of power beyond our, you know, internal um, yeah. thoughts, etc. We have yeah. the power to fly to another country. We have the power to do that. So because of technology and because of this idea that, and, and maybe I kind of feel it's influenced by the American dream idea that you mm-hmm. can just work harder and you yeah. can do that and you can win yeah. that and you can get all that money and you can do all of that. So it yeah. seems as if there's this pressure to take control beyond mm. what you're suggesting, right? Mm. And that, that's where the win is. Like opportunities yeah. come to you, invitations come to you, yeah. grab them, seize the day because yeah. that's where opportunity lies. You know, there's, yep. this, there's this strong temptation to be distracted mm. by all of that, by, yes. um, you know, having to take you know do things and it almost seems counterintuitive to say you know let it go um I have a very limited you know let's come back to the source I have a very limited sphere of control it seems Mm -hmm. almost as if that's a diminished life when you mention Mm -hmm. randomness it's like Mm -hmm. no I need meaning Mm -hmm. I need to know I was here for a reason Um, someone put me here so it seems that randomness and limitation of control Mm. I think that the general kind of response to that is a diminished one, a sad and yep. one, a, a yes. small life. But in fact, by reclaiming all that excess energy of like, mm-hmm. I have to be this being yep. that has yep. meaning and produces things and lives a great life with lots of things in it, by releasing that energy, mm-hmm. you've actually got energy just to be. And by virtue of being that best person, you end up having a supercharged life, a.k.a. what I see in front of me. (laughs) Tell me about your world, your work rather. What's going on there? Um, What do you do and how does, yeah, just what's going on there? Yeah, 
Totally. The work life and other things for sure. So I uh, lead international marketing at a software company. So it's an e-commerce company. And my job is to essentially expand and advance our brand and our products to new markets. So I mentioned earlier that I got to live in London for a period of time last year, just right before the pandemic hit or as it was hitting rather. I was there on an international assignment, uh, really focused around you know, what does our brand and our marketing look like for the UK market? What can it start to look like for the mainland European market? That's kind of a lot of the beginnings of the international piece of my career. I've been in marketing and um, kind of this space of marketing for majority of my career, essentially. That's why I studied, studied in college and have always really liked the idea of being able to shape uh, shape the ideas of something, right? Shaping mm-hmm. how something is communicated, shaping mm-hmm. how it occupies an area of someone's mind. Um, I, I've really always been drawn to that, which I think also connects to why I love writing and why I really like philosophy and everything related to shaping ideas and shaping how things are positioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really drawn to that both professionally, personally, and everywhere in between. So on the professional side, yes working in marketing, all things, uh, international growth and, uh, brand advancement and things like that. I really love it. I get to manage a team, um, based in the UK. I mean, we're, the company's growing so much. We're doing so many great things. And I, I feel really fortunate to be at the, at, you know, in a, in a role where I'm getting to drive a lot of that, um, progress and growth forward. I'm in a really, really great spot. Um, it's also an opportunity to, you know, pull on, my own philosophical practices, right? Because again, with the achievement thing that I was mentioning earlier, it's something that I'm able to really, um, my my job presents regular opportunities to pull on and practice kind of these stoic perspectives and really, again, challenging how I'm seeing things, challenging what I feel, um, you know, a certain thing should be and, and things like that. One of my favorite Epictetus quotes is, something along the lines of you should feel fortunate when the ideas you have learned are being tested by real events. Mm-hmm. And I love that quote. Um, that's, it's pretty, it's pretty close to that. It's essentially that. And I love it because it's like, okay, say you're something comes up at work or comes up in some situation where it's something challenging, something where you're getting some pushback or you're not quite getting something across in the way that you want it to be received or whatever it might be, that's an opportunity to, again, assess, okay, you know, is my visceral emotional response equivalent to what is actually true? Or is it just, this is what's happening and I'm adding my additional judgments to it. And that's why I'm frustrated, right? Like that's an example of, again, the Mm -hmm. ideas that you're learning being tested by real events. You know, stoicism is so practical and that's what makes it stand out as a philosophy compared to other philosophies, right? It's just so inherently practical, applicable, all those things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I work in a very fast paced culture, very fast paced job. It's really intense. I'm in meetings all day long, all of these types of things. And sometimes it's easy to not take those pauses and not take mm-hmm. that time mm-hmm. to really assess, okay, how am I feeling right now? Like, is this legit? Am I creating this in my head? Am I adding unnecessary you know, views and perspectives to this that aren't actually there? Maybe this person said this thing. In my mind, I'm making it this thing. But wait, mm-hmm. actually, let me take it back. what they actually say? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
is it that offensive or is it really all of these things, you know? So all being said, I'm like bringing the work stuff to, you know, I'm, I'm kind of bringing the worlds together a little bit, but really like my job. It's great. That's, that's the day job. And then I really enjoy writing. I started, I started a blog called the philosophy of everything, um, dot com. Let's see, it would have been five years ago now. Yeah. Five years ago, it was April, 2016, um, which was just shortly, not too long after I came across stoicism actually, and got kind of going into that a bit. I, you know, I, I've always been a journaler Mm -hmm. since I was a kid. I have like journals and journals still. I'm, I'm a very much a, um, a writing processor. I'm a talking processor as well as a writing processor. I really like writing. And I've always found it to be an outlet that was just helping and cathartic and allowed me to really just work through whatever it was that I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that, that's, that's kind of always been around for me as far as the journaling outlet. And then I come into stoicism and philosophy and I'm writing even more. Now I'm like, I'm journaling and I'm, I'm thinking through, you know, what this philosophy and these ideas mean for how I can better process and perceive things that are happening in my actual life. And I'm like, I'm working through, you know, I'm just journaling graciously for, for yeah. a while um, after kind of really coming into stoicism and reading meditations, reading Epictetus and Seneca and the whole, the whole gang. Mm-hmm. And I get to a point where I'm writing out these things and writing out, you know, what I'm considering to be kind of, kind, in a way, it was kind of the approach Marcus really took with meditations, right? It was his personal war, wartime journal. Mm-hmm. Had likely had no intention of it becoming like a published work yeah. beyond yeah. his lifetime, of course. It was like messages to himself to remind yeah. himself of and mm-hmm. ideas to hold true to for himself amidst all the pressures of being, yeah. you know, the most powerful man in the world, being Roman emperor, having all these pressures and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was things to kind of ground him and, and reminders to, again, just, to himself. And so I'm, I'm doing a similar thing where I'm, I'm literally, I'm taking these ideas and this helpful structure of philosophy and stoicism specifically, and I'm working through, okay, like, how can I better see, you know, this part of my life that I felt so bogged down by? How can I better see, you know, my situation with my skin or, or whatever, whatever it is. Right. And it kind of becomes, you know, me leveraging philosophy as a mechanism of enabling a more enriching, productive way of seeing things in my life. Mm-hmm. And I reached a point where I just thought to myself, if this is helping me, what are the odds it could maybe help others? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was just like, let me just start a blog. Like, it wasn't, you know, too, too, um, you know, serious as far as literally it stemmed from a desire or a curiosity rather curiosity around Mm -hmm. if I'm finding this helpful perhaps it could help others who maybe are reaching a similar juncture or maybe are looking for uh ideas that can actually help them productively navigate whatever it is they're working through and if no one comes across the blog no problem it was cathartic and productive for me to write it you know Chuck Palahniuk, he's the uh, writer of a bunch of books. One of them, he wrote Fight, the, he wrote Fight Club yeah. and some other uh, big fiction works. And he actually was on a Tim Ferriss episode in recent months. I'm still a big Tim Ferriss listener. Yes. <laughs> and Chuck said something along the lines of, or they were talking about one of Chuck's articles um, that was written about him. And basically he is talking about how as a writer, you have to make sure that whatever you're writing, that it serves you because that way, if anyone 
if it doesn't get received very well, it's actually kind of, there's kind of some stoic rooting in this now that mm. I'm recounting this, this, yeah. this quote and this idea. He's like, if no one receives your work well, if it doesn't hit the bestseller list, if it doesn't, you know, go to the moon, at least it still helped you work through something. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember I was on a walk when I was listening to that and I like paused and like wrote that, quoted that. Mm. So I was like, that is a fantastic, a fantastically articulated reminder of the importance of doing things that first and foremost are going to be fulfilling and, and, and enriching and helpful to yeah. you, yeah. you know, um, versus doing it as something that's specifically attached to a certain outcome. Cause then you're yeah. setting yourself up for, you know, dissatisfaction yeah. and, 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 and frustration and all those things yeah. again, inherently yeah. stoic yeah. as far as detachment yeah. from externals and all that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when I began the blog, I was, I literally had the perspective of, if no one finds it, that's fine. I, it's still helping me to write out these ideas in a way that's digestible and clear. And like, mm. it's, it's meditative almost for me yeah. also, you know, and then if anyone finds it or if it helps anyone at all, like that is literally bonus additive. Awesome. You know? Um, and then that kind of developed over time. And, and now that's something I'm, I'm, I'm fairly serious about as far as having that that mechanism of mm. capturing what I hope to be ideas that, that enable enriched, um, more productive ways of, of seeing every aspect of life. Um, something that can help to encourage people to challenge their default, again, their default operating mechanisms or default ways of thinking. One of my favorite quotes is uh, from Albert Einstein. Um, the world as we know it is a product of our thinking we cannot change it without changing our thinking is, is kind of a, a paraphrase of the quote. It's essentially that. Mm. And I, rem- I remember coming across yeah. that and yeah. loving it, yeah. you know, cause yeah. it's true. Yeah. The world as we yeah. know it is a product of, of our thinking. You yeah. know, everything starts with how you think about it. Yeah. And if you can productively enhance and optimize and adjust and adapt the way you see and think about something, that is what enables, you, you know, a fulfilled, um, enriched life in whatever that means for you. Right. And like you mentioned earlier, like the American dream and how this idea of achievement and, 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 and going after everything, how sometimes you can feel like you need to do everything and control everything and be big and larger than life and all that stuff. When really that's not the case at all. You know, your larger than life can look like just a quiet, contented, inner peace yeah you know like that is really the goal is to reach a place mentally and beyond where you were able to just contentedly exist and appreciate and accept and thrive in what whatever your realm is to to whatever degree that is you know so yeah that's me and my life (laughs) that's really interesting I um I've got about three things to ask you please um but first I want to say <clears throat> the you kind of mentioned the idea of writing and not um basing the value or success of what you're writing on the external and I've been working on um a goal setting workshop from with a more stoic kind of considered mm-hmm. approach and um yeah the idea of where what's the goal when we're setting goals what's mm-hmm. the goal so the goal ultimately is just showing up and doing the work 
And as yeah. you said earlier, what are your gifts? And I think Sharon yeah. LaBelle said, actually, when she was um, talking about, um, I was asking her about, you know, her creativity in music mm. and um, how does the stoicism kind of fit into that? And she mentioned duty, the word duty. Mm. So mm. given that she has musical talent, yeah. her duty then is to just music, you know. Yeah. So writing, are you a writer? If that's your, and it reminds me of Epictetus's, you know, you're, you're on this planet or this, you're, you're playing, you're a character with a role to play. You haven't yes. written the script, you haven't written the script, yeah, but that's your role and you just play mm -hmm. it to the best of your ability. So yes. I'm really thinking, yeah, where's that, where do you set the goal when you're setting goals? What is mm -hmm. the goal? Is it based mm -hmm. on external fame, reputation, money, mm -hmm. et cetera, or is it just the turning up and doing the thing? Mm -hmm. so that, that's... And of course, you articulated it much better than what I did. But yeah, I know I really love great. shifting yeah. the goalpost in a way because ultimately yeah. it is about living a content life. That's yeah. the goal. It's a it's a yes. eudaimonic philosophy, isn't it? So it's yes. a, the end goal is contentment. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, yes, you nailed it. Yeah, you nailed it. I you know, and, and we keep forgetting related to that. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, as far as yeah, the goal. It, uh, this is this this presents a what can be perceived as a tension within stoicism and achievement and goals and things mm. right like there 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 can be a tension there as far as okay don't attach yourself to goals but still like you still want to be yeah. productive and have them and go places right so what does that look like and I love this question and I love that whole kind of space of exploring how the two play together. Mm. I was writing about this just yesterday, I think actually. Um, and the key, at least for, for me, it's a couple of things. Firstly, as far as the, the, what can occasionally be perceived as that tension between stoic acceptance and contentedness, but still having goals. Mm. It's not that we're to not have goals. Mm. It's that we're to not attach our contentment to the materialization of those goals. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the critical, yeah. you know, and I think yeah. as long as we can understand that, mm. then we're good to set goals, have wants, like yeah. go for it, yeah. you know, go yeah. for whatever it is you feel compelled to go toward based on what's in alignment with your gifts and your pursuits yeah. and what's natural to you yeah. and what's interesting yeah. to you. So it's an you entirely know? different concept of goal setting. It's not yeah. based on achievement. It's based yes. on, um, yeah. Content. Yeah. It's based on, on, on health. Based on help. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's that helpfulness of. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. It's based on you, um, you know, pursuing whatever it is you're pulled toward because in that is value in and of itself, right? It's an autotelic yeah. goal. I think it's a Greek word. Um, the word autotelic comes from a Greek root. Um, there's a book called Flow. Yeah. by Mihaly, Sheikhset Mihaly. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that book. I read it years ago. And in it, he talks about how a key part of experiencing flow, which is for anyone you know, who is unfamiliar with the concept, it's the uh, sense of being completely immersed in whatever it is that you're doing, but you lose sense of time, you lose sense of other things happening. You're just so present and dialed in and lost in, in whatever it is that you're in pursuit of, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's your writing and you're lost, you're playing music, you're um, in a conversation, mm -hmm. you're, you're doing anything that 
still requires like active attention and effort, but also feels natural and enriching. And you feel yourself almost being made better through the process. Like that essentially is, is some, some descriptors around, around flow. And in the book flow, he talks about how a key aspect of flow is the fact that when you're in flow, you are likely doing that thing for the sake of it itself. You're doing it for the enjoyment of it itself. It's not attached to an outcome. It's not attached to in the moment. It might be at large, potentially, maybe you are working on something for work. You really like, maybe you really like building that presentation or you really like building that chart or report or whatever it is, because it aligns with your gifts and your interests, right? Of course, the outcome could be hopefully giving a good presentation or whatever it could be. It's not about that. It's about the fact that in the act of doing it, of writing, of reading, of creating, of engaging in conversation, of building something. It's that you're, you're, you're simply just enjoying it as an activity, as an engagement mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think, you know, can relate to that of stoic goals and stoic mm-hmm. pursuits, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's you just doing that because you as a unique individual, you know, Epictetus mm-hmm. says you're an irreplaceable part of the cosmos. You know, you, you are, um, you are a unique entity, right? And with that, we have unique things that we are capable of bringing forth in, in a number of different contexts, you know, and just the act of honoring that, which I think is what Sharon is likely getting at, right? Mm-hmm. Honoring, mm-hmm. honoring whatever it is that you have been uniquely gifted yeah. to contribute, yeah. you know, whatever that thing might be. So, and, and seeing it that way also allows you to kind of be free from the need for it to be attached to certain outcomes. Mm-hmm. Because you're just, you, you are fulfilled just in the honoring of the pursuit mm-hmm. of that gift, right? Yeah. Like you're just fulfilled yeah. in that. Um, and that goes to kind of my second thing, um, as far as kind of goals and stoicism and mm-hmm. how to balance those two old. And I, so this is something that I've been really thinking a lot about this year, really over the last entire year, I think, is the importance of operating out of congruence with your values living in congruence with your values. First step of that being identifying what your values are, what is important to you. You know, what are the things that you notice you are drawn toward? Maybe you don't have your values like captured out like I do in an Evernote because I'm crazy like that. Um, you know, maybe- it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, maybe you don't have them like drafted out, right? But like, what are the things that you find you do really value and give attention to naturally? What are the things that are really significant that you maintain, whether it's relationships, mm-hmm. uh, health, um, you know, creativity, whatever that might be, whatever those things are that you really value, you know, really high quality friendships, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, being helpful to others, mm-hmm. whatever those things are. I thought, I, I find that at least for me, whenever I'm feeling the most dissonant or incongruent or just out of sorts, it tends to, it tends to be around periods where I'm operating incongruently for a period of time where I'm not able, or either I'm not able to, or I'm choosing not to, or I'm too distracted to whatever it might be. I'm not living out of um, my values. You know, I'm doing things that are not actually what is right, you know, to me, right. As far as that personal, right. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and I think a conscious ongoing awareness, 
at least striving for conscious awareness of what your values are, of what's important to you and what's significant to you and what's meaningful to you. That's going to allow you to be able to live most of your life truly contented and congruent because you're operating out of, out of that naturally, you know? And I, and that really is what life is like life is seeking to live as many days as possible in congruence with your values. Then you, that, that's what makes you feel like you're having a good life, a good week, a good month, a good, a good year. It's that daily desire and, and, and striving toward just living in congruence with your values. And when you can just kind of bring it down to just that, it makes the achievement of a good life really quite attainable in my, in my view. Yeah. I think that's like really amazing. And yet, and yet there's almost like no space or time given or even um, hope or even mm. direction that that's what you're supposed to do because it's right. like you're told to, you know, the American dream. I don't want to focus yep. on that necessarily, but that idea of, be yes. that, be that, definitely that, rather than yes. there seems to be, there's nothing out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, but mm-hmm. we tend to be, we tend to feel that it, we're not born with gifts that we can just cherish yeah. and be, that we have to yeah. make something of ourselves, be something. Right. Yes, exactly. And the way you speak about that is like, yeah, what you said about being an irreplaceable, you know, part of the universe. If we were told that as kids, mm. maybe, which we mm. are kind of, but you're supposed to kind of be the the prettiest person yeah. or, the, or the smartest right. person or right. the right. person, right? Yeah. yeah. But if we're taught to just cherish those that natural character that we've been born as and be that person to the best of your ability actually this Mm. reminds me of this great little um anecdote i was watching a documentary do you ever watch um uh rugby like very rarely and the greatest team is the new zealand all blacks okay right do you know them right i don't know them but now they're just they're just like miraculous right um and um I was watching a documentary about them and their training. A lot of stoicism seeps into the training. And one of the players was on the bench, like always on the bench. And he wanted to just be on the field, right? But he was always on the bench. And so he said to his dad, you know, I don't know, I'm going to give it up because I don't think it's going to happen for me. I'm just, you know, on the bench all the time. Mm -hmm. And his dad said to him that your role right now is to be on the bench. Mm-hmm. just be on the bench to the best that you can be and I think being on the bench also meant carrying towels and just doing other stuff right. Right. it was like just be the best the best you can yes. be on the bench yes. that is your role to play right now and he did yes. ended up being captain or whatever but it's like that is it like even being on that. the bench in life yes, yes. you can do that beautifully mm. with with virtue we haven't even touched upon virtue yet but um wow. yeah yeah. I want people to write that down. Even on the bench in life, you can do that beautifully. Yes. Yes. Um, nail it. That, that anecdote is exactly spot on, completely what we're saying. Totally. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's wherever you find yourself. Yeah. You can do yeah. that well. Yeah. You know, you can do that well. Yeah. And it enables you to be set up to do the next season well. Right? Totally. Like, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Like if he wasn't doing the bench well, he would mm-hmm. never then have been called. Right. 
Exactly. Precisely. <laughs> yeah, so, you had maybe been seen as someone who's like, you know what? Like you're really yeah. in this way. Let's get yeah. you out there. Let's get you, you know, yeah. uh, shining in a different yeah. way. 100%. Yeah. 100%. There's a sense of impatience as well. I think we're taught maybe impatience. Mm. You've got to do it. You've got to show it quickly. There's a sense of we value immediacy and speed and responsiveness and spontaneity over quiet and patience and just like Marcus Aurelius, just, 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 yes, exactly. Just be where you are completely and fully. You know, I think we sometimes exactly just be where you are and that's and that's enough you know ryan holiday's book stillness is the key is a great book on that topic right as far as actively finding that quiet and recognizing that it's not only okay to be still but it's in our better interest to make time to be still yeah you know to really be in tune with ourselves and recognize that where we are is where we're meant to be and we can do that extremely well and that that's where um that that's how you live well that's how you live a good life by being where you are to the best of your your capability Uh, I also think you know we have a tendency to forget that we don't need to experience everything we want right now yeah you know and nor can we that's also not quite possible based on the rules of space and time (laughs) like you you can't have everything, you know, yeah, like all the things you're wanting, that achievement, that family, that milestone, you know, life happens kind of in, in progression, right? Yeah. And I, I think that we should remind ourselves that, again, when we think back on our lives, when we think back on, you know, what we'll say is a, is a good or quality or full life, it's going to really depend on how much we honor the current seasons we're in. You know, it's about honoring where you are and giving your best and fullest self to that. Yeah. Because then, you know, you're going to be like we were mentioning earlier, that that's going to allow you to more likely have a better experience to follow in the, in the next season. It's going to allow you to not have, it's going to at least limit the possibility for regrets or resentments. If you can look back on a season, no, you gave your, your complete self to it, right? Like that's where you're living. Uh, and that's really what your core responsibility is in life is to like, assess where you are and, and, and live really well there and recognize that whatever is meant to come your way will, if it's truly meant to, or you'll get to it when you're supposed to, that life doesn't all happen at once. It happens in seasons. And it's about having as many of those seasons reflective of you living congruently, you giving your best, you being present, you honoring whatever it is that you've been given, you know, and some people of course feel like, oh, I don't have anything to give. I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have all these certain skills and specialties and all those things. And it's not even about that, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's about, you know, whether, whether your contributions are super flashy in public or not, Mm -hmm. it's about contributing to whatever it is, wherever you are in whatever way that's been kind of placed upon you. Right. Uh, like that's, it's about finding the opportunity to exhibit honor and and diligence and presence wherever you are, not in comparison with something that might feel bigger or more significant. You existing really well, where you are is significant. Yeah. Yeah. You know, full stop. You know what? You're amazing the way you speak and no wonder because you're in marketing. So <laughs> just to totally like shift the tone of the conversation, <laughs> I want to ask you, if you're in charge of marketing stoicism, 
<laughs> Give it to wow. me. Wow. If, if, if I'm in charge of marketing, so. Marketing, oh branding, rebranding. What's your, yeah. I don't know what you yeah. call it. What do marketers do? Your pitch. What's your thing? Right, right. I, you know, I, this is a really, really fun question. So I, and this actually kind of dovetails into what I, what I plan to speak about at the, at okay. uh, our Stoic X Women's Conference. Um, you know, t- so Tim, I, I keep bringing up Tim Ferriss, but it's going to be, super, it's going to continue to be relevant. He has this great question. He asks people, uh, it's similar to your question. His question is, if you could put anything on a billboard, what would you put on a billboard? Okay. Love that question. And the, and the responses he gets back from the array of people he asks, mm-hmm. it's all, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting and insightful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would put, am I to enjoy or endure? Am I to enjoy or endure? Question mark. And to me, as far as marketing stoicism and, and how I would present stoicism and all of that, it is Freedom from the tyranny of the moment, freedom from feeling as if you are beholden and limited to whatever it is that you're feeling, to whatever emotions or lies or holds on your mind, you are completely free. You are free to decide if you are supposed to enjoy where you are, knowing that time is going to continue to unfold, right? Time is the everlasting constant. It is the equalizer. It is the one thing no one has control over. It's always going to move forward, right? So knowing that we are always faced with two options in any moment. If it's an amazing moment, you're on a trip with friends or you're, you just experience an amazing milestone or it's your wedding or whatever it is, that's going to be over. And you can be like, oh, that's so sad that this is going to be over soon. Or you can be like, it's going to be over soon. I'm going to enjoy it to yeah. the maximum. I'm going to savor this knowing that time just keeps on ticking forward and that everything changes, right? Same for the flip side. And this was really significant to me, um, especially mm-hmm. in my early kind of descent into stoicism and, and all of those things was the endure part, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing that time only moves forward. Time only moves forward. Things always change. That mm-hmm. means that whatever season you're in, whatever you're battling with, struggling with, that thing's going to change and evolve. Mm-hmm. At the very least, your perspective on it will, right? Mm-hmm. Things are going to change. If you have a really hard day at work, you have a hard presentation, or you have to have a hard conversation, mm-hmm. you're going to get through that because time naturally moves forward. So if we can harness the reality that is the progression of time, that really frees us moment to moment to decide how can I most productively make my way through this moment, knowing it's going to pass, knowing we're going to be progressing forward. Am I to enjoy and savor it and just be present and appreciate it or endure and persist and progress forward, knowing that I'll make it to the other side of it inevitably. That, that's my pitch. On You've sold me on stoicism. <laughs> Bye today. <laughs> Oh my God, that is so brilliant. Okay, you got to write the book. Uh, you know what? Are you, you writing? Are you, okay, are you writing? A book? I, so I do hope. I do hope to. I do have. Okay. I do have hopes of 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 writing a book. We'll see, kind of when and and all of those things. But that is definitely on 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 the radar on yeah. the docket. Um, and yeah, even I've got that some drafts and things title, and title. The billboard title is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, it's it's what I really like about 
this whole pursuit, you know, of, of philosophically informed living and of the writing and all that it's, it's things that I authentically have applied to my own life. And I've seen the freedom enabled by these concepts. That's why I write in the way that I do, because it's things that I myself have experienced freedom by way of that mindset shift, um, you know, authentically. And I think if people avail themselves to other ways of thinking and seeing things that they can be open to, yeah, to other perspectives and just new ways of perceiving, um, you know, the world around them. And if they're open to shifting that default operating mechanism, there's so much freedom and so much release to be found, you know, if you're, if you're open to that. So I, I, my, my aim is just to be able to continue to advance that, to create opportunities for people to discover you know, that freedom that is possible through, you know, philosophically informed perspectives and through kind of shifting the narrative and shifting the script a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that it's just a choice. It's a mm-hmm. choice. Like, yep. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? That you could Ashton. choose to think yeah. something else. Exactly. <sighs> you, literally, Catherine, you nailed it. You nailed it. Who knew, Who knew it was that simple? Exactly. That's so much of what it comes down to most of the time. It's just choosing to see it, it differently. And yeah, at least, at least recognizing that you have the power to, yeah. you know, recognize that you are complicit yeah. in however you're deciding to see something. Yeah. Complicit. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Oh my God. Complicit. I don't want to <laughs> let you go right now. <laughs> this has been so fun. It's been so great chatting with you. It's ending. Time's going forward. No. Time's going forward. I know. But hey, we enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. We enjoyed we it. Enjoyed it. <laughs> okay. I want to ask you, I want to ask you if you had, okay, one silly question and then one more yeah, question yeah. and I'll let you go, I promise. But okay, one more silly question. If you had a co-marketer with you, mm. who would it be of all the Stoics, the ancient Stoics? Oh, Marcus Aurelius. Yes. 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 Yeah. Marcus Aurelius. I will probably <laughs> name a child after him. <laughs> being honest. I was, actually, Marcus I was um, speaking with Eve Richards um, yesterday and, mm. and I said, because she was talking about parenting, etc. And I said, okay, who would be um, the best dad? Stoic mm. right, of the Stoics, and of course, she said, even though Marcus Aurelius really would have been away a lot, he still would right. have been the best dad. Exactly, he would have <laughs> left them with great ideas and great instruction and great uh, guidance. Totally. And I'm gonna be away totally. for a while, but like, remember, right. yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. I love so, that. I love that. Dad, marketer, emperor. I mean, really, I'm totally. I mean, I'm so like secretly. Uh, actually, it's not even that secret. I'm totally in love with Marcus Aurelius. Same. Same. Yeah. I don't care how weird that sounds. Yeah, it's no, just it's, it's yeah, it's, it's nothing. I'm fine. Exactly. <laughs> I acknowledge it. I own it. I own it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, one more thing. So if, yeah. uh, of course, it's a new podcast, but I'm optimistic yeah. I will get lots of people listening. So if, if you wanted us to focus on one thing that you're really excited about right now, what would it be? What would we go mm. to on? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yes. I would say, gosh, there's so many things that I'm excited about right now. I would be excited about the opportunity to really claim control over some of what we were just saying, 
the opportunity to really claim control over how you are perceiving the rhetoric of all that's happening around the world right now. There is an opportunity for people to really challenge and assess and assert ownership over how you choose to see and interpret things. I think we're at such a critical juncture as far as autonomy and, 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 and individual thinking and critical thinking and all of those things. And I think people have the option right now to really decide um, the level of ownership they want to assert over their own um, you know, modalities of thinking. Um, I'm really excited about people. I, I hope people can feel empowered in that, empowered in the control they actually do have over how they choose to interpret and perceive things. Um, you know, I think sort of the year that we've had and all of these things force people into a place where they have to really think about these sorts of, about how, about how they see things, right? And about how they're defaulting in their perspectives on certain occurrences and all that stuff. So I think people have an opportunity to, again, assert ownership over how they think and how they perceive. And, and I hope that that then generates the desire to learn more and maybe pursue philosophy if it hasn't been something that they've thought about, right? Really pursue different avenues and venues to even more so unlock that ability to think on different planes that are ultimately going to serve you better. Taking it back to you know, the top yeah. of our conversation, yeah. you know, what serves you? Will this serve me? Is this helpful, productive, additive to my life? I want people to get excited about the opportunity to kind of re-empower themselves and yeah. reclaim that ownership of their mind and take that lens of, does this serve me? And to then be okay, you know, with again, challenging default perceptions. Um, because when you do that, that gets you closer to that freedom, which is on the other, other side of that, that freedom from being bogged down, pulled down by things that really you do have control over, you know, if you want to give into that or not. So that's, what, that's, feel, that's one thing I'm excited about. That's, that's, yeah. And I feel that at the end of this um, episode, we're all going to go over to your blog and just go, I want more of Elizabeth. So that, I hope that you've would got be, some that would extra be blog post. Yeah. So it's philosophyofeverything.com. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Check I it out. And I hope, it, yeah. yeah, I hope, I hope it adds any, you know, inkling of value or at least an opportunity to, yeah, think about, think about how you might see something and whatnot yeah. and, and what could be you know, unlocked uh, on with three different perspectives and all of that. So mm-hmm. here, here to serve. We're all here to serve. Yeah. And thank you so much for um, devoting so much time to the blog because it's it's um, really important. And well, I look forward to hearing more about your time talk at the conference on June fifth. And um, yes. Yes. wow, you've blown me away! What an absolute oh. pleasure to meet you and to chat with you. And I hope we get to do it again. Catherine, you too. Thank you for the opportunity, for inviting me. Thank you to you and Brittany for organizing um, this conference. I'm super excited and and humbled and thrilled to get to be a part of it. And this has all been so fantastic. So thanks. Thanks for everything. It's going to be amazing. All right. Well, on that note, goodbye to you and uh, see you next time. Yeah. See you, Catherine. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Bye. (laughs) Bye.